The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Don't forget to check out the SVP pod with the one and only Scott Van Pelt. On the latest episode of SVP, talk to ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler about the art of the touchscreen. Wow, that's cool. You can find the SVP pod wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast live on a Monday afternoon where for the third straight day, the sun is shining, birds are chirping, it's beautiful outside. And we're only nine days away from the NBA draft, and to help us preview it, uh, two of the very best in the world at what they do. And think about how rarely you could say that about someone. The best in the world at what they do are draft experts, Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, great, man. Thanks for having us. I always ask. I think it's the polite thing to do. Thank you for coming on and giving me um, a little time. I know you guys are are, are busy, but is it? does this feel – are you less busy? Are you more busy? Uh, Givoni, you go first. Is the pandemic – like what is the – how has the pandemic changed the lead-up to the draft for you, if at all? Obviously, it's changed the lead-up for teams. They have less information. They've been had less access to players. But like from your information gathering perspective, is it any different? It started to heat up now. It was just weird that for months on end, I felt like – and a lot of NBA teams that I talked to felt the same way. They just didn't want to talk about the draft. They're like, it's too far away. We can't think about this right now. Um, it, this is a class that we've been studying for two-plus years now. And I, I dug up um, a link to – uh, you know, a piece you wrote about James Wiseman in the summer of 2018, you know, like where we're like, is he the number one pick? Is he not? You know, so like to still not be able to to put this one in the rear view and kind of turn the page. Like that's what I think has been the challenging part is that like this isn't that kind of class where you could where it's just so exciting to keep talking about them again and again and again for two plus years. Yeah, people are people are within the league are getting tired of this draft class. They're ready to move on. They're ready, definitely ready to make some trades. There's some itchy trade trigger figures. I don't know what the, when the moratorium is going to be lifted, but I, people expect there will be a lifting of the moratorium some amount of days before the draft. And get ready because stuff is going to start flying. It's going to be fun. Let's start with what you wrote today, uh, Gavoni. Um, the latest buzz going into the draft again, nine days out, and I thought right off the top it was very interesting. Um, I, you reported that the assumption among a lot of teams is that LaMelo Ball is going to be the number one pick in the draft and that several teams, whether it's by Minnesota or someone that trades for that pick, and that several teams have tried to trade for that pick or have looked into trading for that pick, including Chicago, Oklahoma City, which is a name that caught me off guard, and we can talk about that later, um, and Detroit. So there's been an interesting thing where all of the draft Knicks that I really respect and go to to try to learn who the hell these guys are before the draft love LaMelo Ball. Love, love, love. You guys both love LaMelo Ball. Uh, you have him both. I th- you, Jonathan, you reported today that your assumption at this point is that he will likely be the number one pick in the draft. And then I feel like every other day this, this is like is, there is this other narrative like is LaMelo going to slip? How far is he going to slip? Could he like slip all the way to seven? Could he slip all the way to eight? Could he slip to five? So like Gavoni, I'll start with you. What's going on with LaMelo? Like, what leads you to... How strongly do you actually believe that the number one pick is coalescing around him? I think what's happening is that the teams outside the top 10, they look at these top three guys, LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and they're just scared 
ruthless. They're just like, we want no part in those guys. And we want, and we would be petrified to make that pick. And, and I think that's where some of the chatter, you know, among like the part-time draft people is, is coming, you know? Um, but if you talk to the teams in the top 10, or at least most of them, they are very excited about LaMelo. And I'm hearing in um, some of the offers that are being made to Minnesota and they're pretty good, you know, relative to what you would think is, is, is a bad um, number one pick. And, and it doesn't sound like they're going to make that move, you know, so far they've, they're rebuffing these offers. And so there's going to be a second meeting here between LaMelo and Minnesota at some point in the near future. I, I expect he's going to have to get on the basketball court and show them some stuff, but there's, it's possible that that will be enough to lock up the number one pick where they might just say, we're not trading the pick and we're committing to him, you know? So we'll see kind of how that goes, but that's what I'm following, but it really doesn't jive with what out the other, you know, media outlets that I'm reading where it's like, he's in some kind of free fall. He's having these horrible workouts. He's having terrible interviews. I mean, that just isn't true because he hasn't worked out for anybody, you know, and he, he's done like maybe four interviews so far and he's not a great interview, but I don't, you know I mean? So I don't, I, I, I don't know where that's coming from, but I, I suspect that part of it is he's such a lightning rod and any th- time you tweet about him, you write about him, you mention him on a podcast, it gets so much attention. You know, the internet. Oh, good, good. This is my first, this is my first time doing it. Yeah. And so that, that to me is what it is. It's like, let's take the opposite stance. LaMelo stinks, you know, and LaMelo is free falling. That's how you get attention, you know, in, in 2020. And that, that uh, I think is where it's coming from. So Schmitz, um, Minnesota is a very unusual team to be picking number one in a couple of senses. Uh, they're bad, which is not unusual. But for a bad team, it is unusual that they have two not quite mid-career veterans, but not far away from that, that they view as ensconced at two positions in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. So they, in theory, could be more concerned about fit than most bad teams picking number one in the draft. They also owe their 2021 pick to the Warriors with top four protection, so they have some incentive to try to be decent. Uh, unless the season spirals out of control, in, in which case they have some incentive to be like as bad as possible. Um, so they're unusual in that regard. Um, you both have written a lot about LaMelo. Mike, um, obviously the concerns that I, I mean, I've watched enough film to like know that he's a genius passer. Like all mm-hmm. that is he's he's very tall for for a lead ball handler. And he has he has it. Whatever it is, he's got it as a passer. The jump shot. And I hear like as many concerns about his defense as I do about his jump shot from front office people who are looking at him in the draft. So Mike, like jump shot defense, like what kind of fit would he be in Minnesota if they, if if they would to take it, if they were to take him? I think it would take some time for, for them to figure it out with, with him and D'Angelo, both guys who, who need the ball in their hands more or less to be effective. But uh, I think they can make it work. Like we've seen, this is a multi ball handler league, right? You want guys who can pass dribble shoot, uh, and I think that they would eventually figure that out. I mean, with those three guys, that's one of the most skilled under 25 kind of big threes that you would really have, you know, in the NBA. Now, I think the bigger question is, 
defensively, what would that look like, right? And what's going to save LaMelo there, I think, is that he's 6'7", and and he's an incredible rebounder. He he doesn't look like he would be a bad defender. Like, when I I started hearing front offices, like, tell me how bad he was defensively, I'm like, well, that, I mean, he's big. Like, he's big for a guard. So tell me more about his, how you can see that projecting. Yeah, like, they're not going to take advantage of him like they would a Trey Young, I don't think. You know, they're not going to put him in ball screens, get a switch, and then just attack him left and right. Like he at least has the size to hold up there. Um, but he's just never played in a winning environment. That That's the reality of the situation. And I think that's the biggest question for me. It's not about the shooting because he's incredibly confident. He has great touch. It's not about can he survive defensively because he's six, seven, and he's a genius rebounder and really smart off the ball when he wants to be. It's more about if he goes to a situation where things are going south and, and they're losing and he's got to kind of be one of the guys to turn things around, like, is he going to do that? And it's not really completely his fault, right? Like he didn't decide to leave high school and go to Lithuania. He didn't decide, you know, to go to all these different stops. And um, that ultimately led to Australia. But I think that's what teams are grappling with is like, is this kid ever going to be a winner? Is he ever going to like right the ship when things are going poorly? And because he's just been at so many different places, he's never really finished a full season. Um, but the reality is he makes everyone around him better. People like playing with him. And, and I agree with Jonathan. Like there's so much negativity about like about him that people want to just spout off that that he sucks. And I think people initially were like, hey, are you guys doing this for clicks? Are you guys just like ranking him high so that you get clicks? And it's like, no, this dude's actually a six, seven point guard who's a genius with the basketball and has that it factor that you talked about. So I think he would fit. With, with those guys just fine defensively, I think he's going to figure it out. Um, the question I have is if he goes to like a Charlotte or somewhere like that where you're having a down season and you really got to like dig deep, um, h- how much does he want to put up with those dog days? What What's his ceiling as a jump shooter? Like what, what could we be talking about in terms of like will he ever be able to shoot pull-up threes at a decent clip or, or will be will, is the goal – to be more like, can you have a Tony Parker level trajectory where you just become reliable enough from, well, I mean, Tony Parker was more than reliable. He became elite, but really good from 20 feet. Like what's your, what's your jump shot projection? I think he's going to be good. I mean, his problem is shot selection more than anything. Like he likes the Trey Young 30 foot pull-ups. I've honestly compared him a little bit to Trey in some ways, uh, just as like a six, seven Trey who's not quite as accurate of a shooter, but is much bigger, right? So uh, if you kind of exchange in those two areas, that's the kind of player you get and somebody that you got to live with the bad to get to the good. Uh, you got to live with the, some of the crazy plays to get to the genius. So he's not going to be like a Ricky Rubio where you're going under, going under, going under, and you're daring him. And I don't think it's going to be Lonzo either because Lonzo always struggled from the free throw line. Lonzo always had some confidence issues. LaMelo has zero confidence issues, zero. So I think he's always going to be streaky because he's really, really uh, just lax with his mechanics. He's a very undisciplined kind of aloof type of dude. Um, So I could see him being around a league average type of shooter uh, to where he's going to take some crazy pull-up threes and he's going to make some crazy pull-up threes. He might have 0 for 7 games and he might have 6 for 8 games. That's kind of how I view him. Um, Jonathan, let's go back to the conversation about trading the number one pick 
because there are, there are a couple interesting games of chicken going on with, again, really unusual, if not unprecedented, to have the two top teams in the draft thinking about trading down. It, it never happens. So you have game of chicken number one is like Minnesota. I don't know. I mean, they've been pretty close to the vest with what they like and who they prefer and all that. But um, they they can get a lot of stuff. They can get some stuff for trading down. But then it's like, how far? Let, let's say we go down to three. How much do we care who Golden State takes it to? Like, if they have a strong preference between whoever and whoever, they have to put some value on, like, man, if we drop to three, we might we might not get anybody we really love so much. So that's game of chicken number one. Game of chicken number two is all these teams that are maybe thinking about engaging Golden State in trade discussions for the number two pick. They have to sit there like, well, who's Minnesota taking at one? Like, how much do we actually? What what chances do we actually have of getting the guy we're targeting? Maybe this is maybe these are trades that happen like on the clock, right? But let's go back to your report on the number one pick. Um, Chicago is the first name that you wrote, and it jumped out to me because you talk to teams around the league. Maybe it's because they have a new front office. Maybe it's because Arturis plays things pretty tight. But I've heard a lot of people asking me. Hey, what do you think Chicago is going to do? Or like, if you heard anything about what Chicago is going to do, they have the rest of the league kind of confused. Have you heard any of that in in your sort of sniffing around? Hey, are they maybe trying to move up? Yeah, you you keep hearing from teams that the draft starts at four because there's an assumption that Lamelo, Edwards, and Wiseman are going one, two, three in some order. But what are they going to do at four? You know, do they take Denny Avdia? Do they go with? Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Obi Toppin, you know, there, there's a lot of conjecture about that. They've done a really good job of kind of keeping their options open. Even the agents of the players at the top, they have no idea. You know, usually by now, the agents have a pretty good idea where their guys are, where they stand with each team. Nobody really knows where they stand with Chicago. Um, I do think that there is a possibility that they do look to move up to one um, I've heard that they're fans of LaMelo. Um, you know, they do have some really good pieces in place. You know, I mean, you hear that. I'm hearing that they like Larry Markinen a lot more right now than Wendell Carter, that he's more of an untouchable. And so, you know, Wendell has been a little bit disappointing so far as first two years. I, I think it's way too early to give up on him. I think he's going to be a stud when it's all said and done. I think he's at least a starter in the NBA, if not a really good starter. But does that is that what it takes for them to move up from four to one? It seems like a like a pretty hefty price to me, but that is what it's going to cost. It looks like um, now, in, a, in a in a typical draft, not typical, but in let's say the fifty percent of drafts or forty percent of drafts where there's a no brainer number one pick, that is not an exorbitant price at all. There's like an exponential gap in value from number one to everything else. By all accounts, this is not that kind of draft unless but you it, just but it might be because all the people that i respect the most they say lamello ball is a no-brainer number one pick he's the most talented player in the draft we just did our article about the best guards um in the draft schmidt me and pelton unanimous all, unanimous all, you know so maybe we're overthinking this to an extent maybe this is that kind of draft where LaMelo is the, the big prize, and that's what everybody's angling for. That's what we might find out on draft night, ultimately. My best – okay, so so you've hit on the question, which is like, how is Chicago getting up to number one? If they're trying to get up to number one, how are they doing it? You know, this is the time of year – part of the confusion, I think, that happens is Chicago, like every team, 
is probably making calls in every single direction. Who should we draft if we sit at four? How can we move up? How can we move down? So like depending on who you hear from on a particular day, they'll have heard from Chicago doing a different thing than another guy who you may not hear from on a particular day who heard from Chicago trying to do the opposite thing. Um, I, I don't know what the Bulls are going to do. As of 10 days ago to 12 days ago, my best educated guess, and that's really all, I mean, this is the time of year where you really got to you got to really lean on the people you trust, right? Um, my best educated guess was they seemed pretty cool to me based on what other teams were telling me. Um, sitting at four and just taking who's ever falling to them. I do think there is some degree of we are a new front office. We have a new coach. To your point, Wendell Carter Jr. had a very strange and disappointing second season under Jim Boylan. We kind of want to make sure we know what we have in these guys before we trade one of them. Um, but I, but again, that's just my best educated guess. And, and we can start the discussion of like, what does it take to move from four to one? Is Carter good enough? I, I don't think Minnesota is excited to revisit the Zach Levine experience, if that's what it takes. I mean, I, I guess we're zeroing in on Carter. Is that right, Jonathan? Doesn't sound like Lowry is a, is on the table, you know, and so and then the question becomes, how much can you play Cat and Carter together? I mean, I could, I think they can play ten to fifteen minutes per game together, and then Wendell takes the backup center minutes, and you know, and it, it works out. There's there's ninety six minutes there to to go around, so it's not a problem. Um, but yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, you know, I mean, they they could always look at future picks too. I mean, that's an interesting thing is that nobody really wants to put a 2021 first rounder on the table right now because it is such a stacked draft. I mean, mm -hmm. there are seven or eight guys who really are in the mix for either top three. You know, I mean, it's a loaded, loaded draft. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody's talked about, you know, Cade Cunningham um, and Jalen Green and to a lesser extent, Evan Mobley. But I mean, I think BJ Boston is right there. I think Keon Johnson is right there. I think Jalen Johnson is right there. It's a really, really top heavy draft. Um, and, you know, it's going to be a really weird season in college. So we'll see how those guys get scouted, how much, how many people are going to be able to get actual eyes on them physically in person. But, um, the 20, those 2021 picks, it's, it's going to take a lot, I think. To, well, you you talk to, to people it. who have engaged with the Warriors on any kind of level. I mean, just because people, what other thing people need to understand is just because Team X calls Team Y doesn't necessarily mean they're interested in trading with that team. They just start sniffing around for intel. They have friends on that team. So when I say when you talk to teams who have talked to the Warriors about the number two pick, it doesn't even necessarily mean they're trying to trade for that pick. It's just they're having conversations just as you would. The Warriors seem to those teams to value that Minnesota pick more highly than they value the number two pick in this draft, which has been and, and Schmitz, it sounds like you, you're nodding a lot. It's, it sounds like you agree. And, you know, the next next class is loaded. Twenty twenty two might be the super draft, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Cade Cunningham would go number one in this draft, potentially. Uh, you know, I think. Jalen Green would have a chance to do that. Zaire Williams, all the names that, that Jonathan said. Like, I mean, th these guys are complete, complete studs. And then as you continue going down the line, I mean, the, the drafts ahead of us are all going to be better than this one, we think, at, at this point. Um, so, yeah, I would hang on to those 21 picks for sure, uh, especially with, with Cunningham coming down the line. He's the one, I think, where people feel really, really comfortable. Like, this dude is going to be an all-star early on in his career, like 6'7", 6'8". 
uh, great body, close to a seven foot wingspan. Like he can play one through three, even one through four. I mean, he is like the epitome of the modern NBA, you know, going to be playing for, for Oklahoma state this year. So uh, I, I think everyone should, should hold on nice and tight to those 2021s. So, um, you know, speaking of Minnesota and like, what if they trade down and this and that, um, you know, uh, Part of that equation is, again, how much do they really like someone that they need to be at number two or number three or wherever to or, or number one rather to get like how much do they really like somebody to stay? Um, and that makes me want to ask you, Schmitz, first about Anthony Edwards, because, boy, does that dude look the part like and, and Givoni, you had a detail in your piece today about the people at P3, which is the workout place in Santa Barbara and also the place that tests all the all the athletes that come through the draft combine in normal years. He exerts more force in leaping and jumping drills than any player ever at his position. So um, that was, was Schmitz's uh, d- uh, nugget, I think. Huh? Oh, that was okay. Schmitz, congratulations. That's your nugget. I, I loved <laughs> it. It, was, it. No, no, you should take it. It was a great nugget. I, I, I had to pause reading that and like made sure I read the sentence correctly. Um, his he was also my favorite participant in your film sessions. He was such a good sport about everything. He was really really funny. And then you talk to people around the league and they're like, oh, yeah, Zach, he's just like Dion Waiters with like he can jump a little higher. I'm like, Dion Waiters? He's like, so tell me. And he's not number one on either of your boards. So, Schmitz, give me your level of like how far is the drop from LaMelo to him in your view? Like how how excited would Minnesota fans should should Minnesota fans be if he's the one they end up with? Like how what, what's your take? Because this is like. That's really, really polarizing when you hear something like that. Yeah, I think this is where Jonathan and I probably differ the most, at least toward the top. Like, I like him. I mean, he is an insane, insane talent. And maybe it's because I was at that Maui game against Michigan State when he had 37 points. And, like, you just don't see regular dudes do that uh, against one of the best teams in the country. Like, it was – 30-foot step back. He was rotating for blocks. He was throwing like two-handed bounce passes through traffic and transition. And that's not even a strength of his. So like his talent, his like ability to score the ball at that size, like 6'5", 230 pounds is one of the most impressive I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, I think the the waiters thing is, is definitely shortchanging him. I've always thought like, okay, Wiggins, I can see a little bit more in terms of like, he's a crazy talent who you don't always get as much out of him as you would hope, right? Like Wiggins, we know sometimes we're like, man, just like, give us a little bit more, give us a little bit more. And that's kind of been his career. Um, But even with that said, like this dude still averaged 19 points a game in a major conference, had some monster games and is as shifty as I've seen at 230 pounds. So those P3 numbers were, I thought were really, really impressive. You never want to put too much value in that, obviously, but they were like giddy showing me some of that stuff. They're I mean, like, it's not, it's not a bad thing. You should put some right, value in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just the force too. It was like his ability to stop and start was very like Harden-esque um, just with like slamming Ooh. on the brakes and Ooh. then the ability to accelerate like crazy. Like, so obviously Harden was super, super accomplished. He was very efficient. He's a much better passer, like obviously, but just in terms of a guy who has that strength and that shift and can go get a bucket against anybody, uh, that's what Edwards has. So he's a turn it off, turn it on type of guy like that. You saw it in the film session. That's the, that's Anthony Edwards at his best. Like that's when he's vivacious and, and he's charismatic 
and he's like really, really feeling good. And then some days you'll interview him and you get the complete opposite. Or some days you go to a practice and it's like, man, is, is Ant-Man going to wake up? And, and I think that's what kind of what they battled throughout the season. But, uh, you know, he's never really played in a program where winning was super valued until this year at Georgia. Um, you know, he, he reclassified late in his career. Um, you know, so he, he hasn't he's like a ball of clay. And I think it's really, really going to depend on on where he lands. He's he's totally opposite from Lamelo. Like Lamelo is going to have some issues scoring in the half court efficiently. Um, he's not explosive. He's not physical. And this kid is all those things. Like he he can score with the best of them. He can go get a bucket against any defender. And he's really really forceful to the rim at that size. So I'm a fan. Just gotta now. It's up to the NBA teams. Like it's their job to identify the talent and figure out a way to get through to this kid and make him consistent on a day-to-day basis. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate the talent. Gavoni, would you like to deliver the counter argument or do you feel like you have sufficiently done so in writing and other media so far? I'm happy to, to be, to say it as many times as I can. I mean, I think this kid is an incredible talent and there's no question in my mind that he is the prototype of what the NBA is looking for right now at the two guard position, you know, just, the issue is the lack of fundamentals, the, the lack of you know, accountability that he's been held to up until November of, of, of 2019, the, the lack of motor. Um, you know, I just don't I just think he's a selective competitor. And that's a very hard thing to teach a guy, you know, how to compete um, on a day to day basis. And I, you know, and I get all the talk about why he's like that, because his background is, was very difficult. He was bought and sold, you know, I mean, for most of his career, they, his, every decision that was made for him was made under the guise of how do we keep this guy close and make sure we don't lose him. It wasn't what's best for this kid's development. It's like, let's turn down USA basketball invites. Let's not send him to Montverde Academy or IMG or a place where he's going to get pushed every day in practice. And so it was not, let's put him in the Nike EYBL where he's either going to sink or swim. And so that's, it's going to be hard to make up for all that time that he's missed. And the fact that, you know, he spent the last eight months, obviously not getting into great shape. We saw in the pro day to me, he was huffing and puffing after 30 seconds. He was moving at half speed. That did nothing to, you know, kind of ease my mind about those concerns about, I just don't trust this guy. You know, I mean, I, I, I get that he's a talent, but I've been doing this for 17 years and I've seen a lot of talents in my time. And usually players like this don't end up reaching their full potential. Sometimes they do. But if I were the one, you know, with the pick in my hands at number two, it, it wouldn't be him. It wouldn't be Wisen, by the way, either. It was, but, well, I was going to say, this sounds a lot like the mutual skepticism, you got relative skepticism. I think you guys share about Wiseman and uh, Schmitz. I had to chuckle. I almost started playing a sober drinking game because it was in the middle of the day on your film session with Wiseman about how many times you mentioned not having a mean streak or not <laughs> having there. I was like, man, if I actually did this for real, I would, my day would be over. Um, but Schmidt, you said the word James Harden um, and that we're going to get sidetracked for a second. And I don't care because that brought up a little uh, uh, a light bulb atop my head. I wanted to ask you guys to elaborate a little bit more on Killian Hayes because there's a lot of guys in this draft who seem to have like a super wide range of possibilities where they could go in the draft and a super wide range of what 
draft evaluators think of them. So my friend Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer has Killian Hayes ranked as the single best prospect in the draft. A couple other guys have him in the top four or top five. I think you guys had him outside the top five guards, period, in the draft in your top guards. Maybe you had him at number six. Pelton, I think, had Pelton had him at number five. Um, I watched some tape on him. I, I certainly get the intrigue. I get the Harden, you know, the the sort of visual Harden comparison, not a real Harden comparison, but the visual. So either one of you, well, Schmitz, I'll start with you. Like, where are we at with him? And and like, why is there so much differentiation in in what he is going to be? Yeah, I like his long term potential. I think it's going to take him time because he's somebody who needs a situation set up for him to have success, right? And I think oftentimes when we're evaluating international prospects, it's really important to look at the context of the situation, right? We can all pop on Synergy and throw on the last 100 possessions and, and say what we think of a guy, right? But I think it's really important to to know that it's very different going to put up numbers on an Ulm losing team than maybe it would be to play 15 minutes for Maccabi Tel Aviv and put up very little stats, right? It's just, it's a different situation. So um, I just think that it's going to take Killian time uh, to, once he gets to the NBA, learn how to play with other good players um, because he's not a guy who made a lot of shots off, off the catch. Um, you know, a lot of his success came in spread ball screen. We're going to live through your mistakes and we're going to allow you to just kind of do what you do and pick and roll. And so um, that, that was the benefit for him of going to a place like Ulm, where the coach basically said, it's about you, Killian. This year is about you. We're going to make sure that you get drafted high. We're going to make sure that you're able to show your talent. Um, and, and we're going to live with some of the losses. We're going to live with some of the turnovers. And I think ultimately that's going to help Killian for sure, right? It, it allowed him to you know, live through some of those mistakes and, and be able to develop his game. But in the NBA, teams aren't as patient, right? Like teams aren't as patient to just say, hey, Killian, here's the ball. If, if you turn the ball over 25% of your pick and roll possessions, we'll live with that. It's like, no, wait a minute. We have James Harden over here. We have Russell Westbrook. We have guys who are also really, really good with the ball. Um, so I think that's where Jonathan and I probably differ a little bit more than some of the others is that uh, I, I just think it's going to take Killian time to learn how to play with other good players. I mean, he shot only 29% from three this year. He's a career 27% three-point shooter on his, on his career, and he's not really a jet with the ball either, right? So one of those things is going to have to change. I think he's going to have to become a better perimeter shooter off the bounce, and then he can use his size and IQ to pick people apart because going to his left hand and pick and roll, he's incredible. He's a tremendous passer. Um, and he's really, really young. He's got great size. So there's a lot to like about him. I just, I just kind of felt like, uh, it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit quick to say that, you know, he, he's in the, the same category as, as a lot of those other guys that, that we talked about. Now, Jonathan, I, I know later in this week, I think Wednesday, you have, uh, another mock draft coming out or your updated mock draft. Have you done one since the lottery? I think the lottery was the last one, right? I've been updating it internally, like, you know, every day but, but publicly uh, no no i wednesday will be the the first one that comes out can you spoil where you have Hayes or ballpark where you have Hayes or do you not just just him i won't ask you to spoil anyone else but maybe I you don't want his, to. i don't care yeah he's at number 12 on the updated mock to sacramento interesting interesting he honestly zach talking to teams even behind sacramento at 12 people have no idea where he's going you know, you hear stuff from some of these teams that are in the late lottery, the mid first, the late teen. They say it's hard to find any one team who is absolutely in love with Killian Hayes. 
his range is huge. Now, apparently, two of the teams that really like him the most, I don't know if he's at the top of their board, but Chicago at four, Detroit at seven. You do hear some chatter there that he's in the mix among four or five other guys. I don't know if he's going to get there. Maybe if there are scenarios where these teams trade down, maybe then he's the guy. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if on draft night he fell out of the lottery altogether. You know, even though I think I think he should be somewhere in that 10 to 15 mix. But um, I'm having a really hard time finding an actual home for him uh, just because, you know, the problem with Killian where I think comparing him with other guys is that he, you know, we, we've been scouting him for so long. And I think the first time we saw him was in, in 2017, April. It was at the Jordan Brand International game. Um, and he's literally probably 15 at that time or something like that, right? I, yeah, so that was three years ago. Yeah. So, he, he, yeah, he was 15 years old, exactly. Um, and then we saw him at the FIBA Under-16 European Championship where he was MVP. We saw him at the EuroCamp um, that spring also. We saw him at the Under-17 World Cup. We saw him at three different, uh, two different BWBs and one NBA Global Camp in Treviso. So we've seen him in other settings that aren't Ulm. And that's where I think NBA teams are struggling. They say, well, if you take him outside of this one situation where everything was catered to him, everything was about him getting numbers, him getting drafted high, because they want to attract other talents in future years. They just spent 20 million euro on this incredible practice facility and academy. And that's their goal is every next Killian Hayes in Europe should go through Ulm. And so he was kind of um, you know, the test case for people to look at. And so when he had eight turnovers in his first game in September, they let him play through it. You know, that would never, there's no other player in the draft other than maybe LaMelo, who you could say that about. Um, and so that's where a lot of the skepticism around Hayes comes because I think the German league is, is a little bit overrated. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty unathletic league. And he could get away with things at that level that are going to be a lot more difficult for him in the NBA, in my opinion. Well, when you mention other teams at uh, Chicago at four, Detroit at seven, potentially taking their chances to trade down and see if I can still get Killian Hayes, but I might be able to get something else too for trading down. You know, you run the risk of this seems particularly chaotic in terms of trying to figure out who everyone between you and the trade down spot is going to pick because there's so many guys with wide ranges. And then you start to make these deals contingent on certain players being available. And that gets really tricky in real time and can end up getting a little bit messed up. Um, and, and so you just don't, you just don't know, like for instance, I'll just throw some names at you. I, for someone who does not know the draft, the prospects like at all until a day before, which doesn't really even count. Everyone and their brother in the last 72 hours has asked me about Patrick Williams. They're not asking me for my opinion on Patrick Williams because they don't know. They know I don't know. They're asking me, what am I hearing about who might take Patrick Williams? So, and Givoni, he was in your column today as a surefire top nine pick, I think, or top 10 pick, whatever it was. So I, I watched a little film on him. I get it. So I guess I'll start with you, Jonathan. Like, what has what has happened? Why am I suddenly getting blown up about this guy? What what has happened in the last two weeks to sort of make him? And I've had people, by the way, above nine, eight, ask me about Patrick Williams. That doesn't mean they're going to pick him. That means they just kind of want to know the range. Maybe how can we trade down or whatever? Like, what's going on? I mean, this happens every year. There's always, you know, one or two guys that, 
um, just start rocketing up the board, even though they really did nothing, you know, and, and, and then the rest of the league is kind of playing catch up. They're saying, well, what did we miss? You know, well, what do those guys know that we don't? And so that's what I think has happened to an extent with Patrick Williams. And, you know, it's, you, you watch his film. It's easy to understand why, you know, he's, he's six foot eight. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's got an incredible body. He shows you just enough flashes of playmaking and off the dribble shooting. And then, you know, you say he's going to be this really versatile defender who can guard two through four and maybe some point guards and maybe some centers. And so you start talking yourself into this guy as, as, you know, if we get him into the gym and lock him in and, you know, develop his shot and, you know, could he be Kawhi? And so that's where that comes from. I, I think it's crazy personally. I mean, I think he's a good prospect, but I don't think that he's a top seven guy in this prospect. I don't even think he's top 10 for me. But um, it's that's definitely happening right now, and it's really interesting. It does happen, and in my experience, usually those kind of that's a mistake. <laughs> you know, like when this, it very rarely works out well for teams where just a guy keeps rising and rising and rising for no particular reason, and then he ends up being, you know, amazing. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part: each transaction is a step toward a free eleventh ticket. With Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket, one guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt, one guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it, click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about Detroit a little bit because you mentioned them possibly trading up and now maybe trading down again these teams are looking at everything my thing with detroit has always been like what do they have that actually makes it worth my while if i'm number one or number two to trade to trade with them and particularly from golden state's perspective it's like luke Kennard, sfima high luke like number seven and an unprotected detroit pick like that's good. Like that's a good return, but it's not like helping me win the 2021 title. I'm not getting a veteran with a. I think Luke Kennard has a chance to be good, but he's been snake bit with injuries, and he just has so much skill overlap with their best players or positional overlap anyway on defense that that doesn't excite me um, very much. So I'm not really sure, you know, about them. You know what? What? But then you get to this point where like if you're number one and number two, and you just don't care, or you're confident the guy you're going to be there, you like is going to be there at seven. You should just do something for the sake of snatching up an extra, um, an extra asset to 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 just just to do it. Like if you can get an extra asset for free with no cost, you should you should do it. And we'll talk more about that uh, from Charlotte's perspective in a minute. But Schmitz, I wanted to ask you about a couple other guys again, like who seem we just seem to have no idea where they're going. Um, Tyrese Halliburton was engineered in a lab for me to fall in love with him immediately. <laughs> Um, I love everything about him. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in this draft. I just, I love watching, I loved the 30 minutes I enjoyed watching him play on both ends of the floor to try to cram some knowledge about him in. Um, what do we have any, what his, any idea what his range is? Like, do we have any idea who, like, who might be interested in him? 
it feels like four to eight, you know, I think probably on the back end of that. Um, but I, I think he'd be really interesting even as, as high as Chicago, to be honest, if you talk about his fit with Kobe white, um, just because he's not really a go get a bucket guy, right? He, he, he's more of a ball mover. He's highly intelligent. Whereas Kobe white is more of a go get a bucket guy. Right. And, and so I think that duo would, would be really interesting, but you know, you hear Detroit at seven, or I think, you know, New York would be thrilled to have him, you know, fall all the way to eight. Uh, the way I describe him is he's what we hoped Lonzo ball would be coming out of UCLA, like highly unconventional, funky shot, but genius Ooh, it's, fun- it's funky it's 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 funky. as funky as the hype made led me to believe it would be it's funky but he's one of the best shooters in the draft like I know, if you he makes look it. at it's crazy i mean it's almost like he's teeing up a golf shot and, and then just like ripping it down the fairway but um yeah that's how i describe him he, he's what we hoped lonzo would have been uh you know he doesn't have a ton of juice off the dribble uh he he's a little bit light um, but he does pretty much everything on the court and he's an incredible off the ball defender. He's super smart. And I think the difference between him and Lonzo is that he's a highly, highly confident kid with a huge personality. Like and when I went to Vegas and, and saw him work out and play some three on three, it's like people were so gravitate, like just, just how he lifted everybody's spirits around him. Like I haven't really seen that from guys. And so, um, I was really, really impressed just by his mental, uh, approach to the game and how much guys gravitated toward him. And so, um, I think he could really be that type of guy if he's not, you know, drafted to a situation where they put the ball in his hands and say, Hey, go create everything because that's where he struggles a little bit. And few rookies are ready for that kind of burden anyway, which is why I think you guys have both written about how there's almost a stigma attached to Halliburton about how, well, he'd fit well on a good team. He'd make a good team better as if that's like a bad thing, right? Because like, right. is he a lead ball handler and all this? Givon, is his range as wide as I'm making it out to be or is it is it not as wide? Is it like like Mike said, like that four to nine or whatever? I think that's what it is, yeah. Four, four to eight, you know, I mean, he, he's a guy that if, somebody trades up maybe to like three or four, whatever, he, he could be the one that they're targeting, you know? So I think that's, uh, he's going in the top 10. Um, you know, I also agree that he'd be a good fit for the Bulls. It doesn't sound like he's got as much traction there as, as, as others, but um, he, if you have good pieces, like he's awesome for you. The problem is that all these teams in the top 10, they stink, you know? And well, I can think of one team in the top three that doesn't stink right. and is trying to win the championship next year. Well, they but, did stink, but they're hoping not to stink next year. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that seems to be – I mean, obviously that would be a reach at two. You would try to trade down, but does he fit with Stephen Clay? Again, is there too much positional overlap? I, th- I think he's a great fit with them, you know? I mean, if you could play Clay at the three, you know, you can play all three of them together. And, you know, you don't want to over – work stuff too i mean it's a, it's a long season and you know you don't want to plan 36 38 minutes per game you know coming off an injury and all that so um you know you want to save him for the playoffs so i think it you need to have some real firepower there i mean that's my one of my concerns with the warriors is are they going to you know be able to win enough games to to position themselves to get into the playoffs and not fall off their feet once once the playoffs start well, the Warriors, I mean, it's just so tricky for them because they have clear ambitions of using this pick as a ticket to a star and either um, a trade for a star, which by by all accounts so far, they have not been successful. I mean, Drew Holiday is not a capital S star, so that may be where whatever veteran trade they could get, that may be. And I talked about that with Bobby last week about how that might work. 
I don't think the number two pick is getting them a, a, an all NBA level player at this point. And you guys have heard the same, I think. But what um, about Jack? What about a guy who used to be an all NBA player? You know, we talked about Detroit. What do they have to trade? You know, he's got two years on his contract. Wiggins has three. Um, you know, is there something there that works for both sides? You know, is there, you know, everybody's talking about Blake is in this amazing shape. He's healthy now. He's ready to go. You know, if you're trying to win a championship, if your window is small, do you plug him in at the five and, you know, and, and go, you know, I mean, is, is that the move? I don't know. I mean, there is some talk about that out there. For me, I don't buy it uh, because I just don't think you can trade the number two pick now for someone who, look, I, I really like Blake um, and, and I'm glad to hear, I hear all the same things you're hearing. He looks amazing. He looks like old Blake, this and that. Summer is different than game 61 and, you know, whatever in the playoffs. Uh, I just don't think you can trade the number two pick for some someone who's... Well, you get just, seven also. You get seven. And it just, again, it just depends. Like, do you... And this is, the, this is the thing that the Warriors are trying to do. If we can't get a capital S star, and I think this is why you hear so much Wiseman buzz for them at number two, because at least that's the swing for the fences. Or Edwards, I guess, could be the swing for the fences. I'm just thinking out loud. Like, that could be... If we're going to draft someone, we're going to try to... Like, how... If we're drafting at two... We're not picking a guy like Halliburton who fits in nicely because that doesn't do much for me when Steph Clay and Draymond are 35 years old. Give me, let me take a shot at someone who might be able to take the mantle of the franchise. Failing that, you go into these trade back plus help my current team because I do owe it to them to help them try to win the championship this year. I just think number two for Blake is is a even if I get seven. Unless I just really love someone who's going to be there as much as anyone, I would take a number two. I just think that's I got to get a little more. I, I, I don't see it, but I, I'm, you know, the Warriors intel is all over the place. So I could be wrong. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. The other guy... What in the world do I make of Obi Toppin? Schmitz, like, what? Like, he, I, and he's mocked all over the place. And I started watching film of his offense, and I know the book on him already. I'm watching film of his offense, and I'm like, this dude's defense 
must be so freaking bad <laughs> if he's not like a no-brainer top three pick because this guy is blowing blowing it out of the water again as a five at Dayton and all this but like um where like, well I'll start with you Gavoni actually like where like the range for him seems especially wild I mean I think eight is definitely the lowest he goes I don't that's see him the getting... lowest he goes yes definitely you know wow. eight his the guy who recruited him all year who signed him to you know is running the team who has the number eight pick you know there and I think from what all understanding he's dying to get Obi Toppin there's nobody that he trusts more in this draft we're talking about Leon Rose and the Knicks yes, yes. than Obi Toppin so I can't see any scenario that Toppin goes below eight and I think honestly I think he's going Four or five, you know, like I don't I really don't think he's going very far just because he was the best player in college basketball. They were a number one seed. He he fits the modern NBA offensively really, really well. He's got a he's very high character. He's ready to go. You know, like if you're a bad team, you plug in Opie Toppin right away and he's go, he's he's going to probably be rookie of the year. You know, so what you know, in a draft where you're picking a guy November 18. And then you're you're playing your first game December 22. It's there's a real comfort level having a guy who is you know is 22 years old and is already you know is obviously one of the most productive players in the draft. He's probably the most ready guy to contribute right now. Schmitz, um, obviously the question is all about his defense. Um, mm-hmm. He played the five at Dayton. The assumption is a, de- a defense with him playing the five in the NBA is a disaster. Uh, so can he guard the four? Well, then the question is, he doesn't exactly look light on his feet and the fours are getting smaller and faster and shootier in the NBA every year. So I will just put it to you. You you seem the most optimistic about Toppin among you, Jonathan and Kevin Pelton last week in your roundup of, of big men. Like, does he have a position on defense or is he so good on offense that he's going to be Amari Stoudemire with three-point range and you just put him at the five and say, maybe we get enough good defenders around the wing and we're just a destructive offensive team and we live with it? Yeah, the defense I think is is going to be a, a challenge, uh, especially like you said, with the the fours are now wings, right? And, and so him chasing those guys around I, I think is going to be a challenge. Um, but, you know, watching some film with them, this kid has been coached. Like Anthony Grant is an NBA level coach and, and we're going through pick and roll coverages and he's like, listen, in the sideline alley, we're going to be icing. And then now here I'm weaking and I got a corral and, and he like, he sees the game at, at a really, really high level. And I think that's going to help him at least become close to passable. Like he told me, he's like, listen, I've been studying Al Horford form film, you know, back to the Florida days and, and how he plays the cat and mouse game and bluff and recover. And so he understands those things, which I think is really, really going to help him. And I think he's going to be so good on offense that you live with some of that stuff. And, and that's kind of the comparison I've made. Um, and I know it's they're on a different trajectory, him and Amari, and Amari more powerful and this and that. But like if Amari came up in today's game where, where you're you know, bombing threes in, in trail situations, picking and popping and doing that, like I do see some similarities with those guys. And now this kid is a much better passer. Um, and, and I think that's where his game is is going to continue to grow. But, you know, the question is drafting 22-year-olds in the top 10. I mean, if you look at like the last 10 years, aside from Dame, it's Chris Dunn, it's Buddy Heald, it's Frank Kaminsky, it's Jimmer Ferdet, it's Wesley Johnson, Ekpe Udo. I'm, I'm feeling pain like in my, in my stomach, just, <laughs> just really hurting me. 
I felt enough great. nausea. I felt enough nausea in the last six days. I don't need any more nausea. Stop <laughs> inducing it in me. Um, so yeah, the, the list is not great, but here's what I'll say about Obi Toppin. He's on a completely different trajectory than any of those guys, than any 22 year old pick. Like he had no offers uh, out of high school. And, and then he w- goes to prep school and then he shoots up three inches. He grew an inch during his first year at Dayton when he was an academic redshirt. Um, so I do think there's still some, some untapped potential there. He's, and he's he would be my nine. pick he's for rookie six, of the year. He's six, nine, correct? Yeah. Six, nine. Yep. See, six, that, nine, that, I think around a seven. That I think that's part of the fear is like you can have a guy who's a like I look at a guy like Jokic who I've always argued is not as bad defensively as his critics and and certainly there are matchups where he looks just un 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 just you don't even want to watch it it's so bad uh, but when he gets in shape and he's but he's also huge right so you can live in certain contexts with a slow footed lead footed can't jump over a phone book center when that dude is seven a legit seven foot rebounds everything in sight, has good hands, like Jokic is always at the top of the leaderboard in steals for centers and deflections overall, and at least can get big around the rim. And I and I know that you highlighted Obi Toppin's verticality around mm. the rim at Dayton, but like Dayton's not playing an NBA schedule, and this dude is 6'9". So like you're just limited, there's just a limit to the number of solutions you have defensively. But Amari, if you want to make that comparison, and that's definitely who he reminded me of at first glance, like some of it was Steve Nash, but you could not do anything with Prime Amari Stoudemire. It, it, you could that guy was dunking on your face multiple times a game. He had a smooth face up jumper, a smooth face like that first step from the left wing, the left triple threat position. You're done. It's over. Nobody could stay in front of that. Let alone a center. Like you had no chance. You put that guy with three point range, and it's just like it's going to be a problem. So I, I I'm very curious to see which team pulls the trigger on him. And if he can indeed get better on defense to the point that he's average, because to your point, he is a good passer. And passing to me at least indicates like I have good pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. And even if that doesn't translate to a good stance on defense or or fast feet on defense, it should translate to anticipation on defense. Is that fa- is that fair to say? Yeah, I think he has really good defensive instincts. It's more like the it's funny because he's such a leaper. He's so explosive, like north south, incredible rim runner, like vertically great lob catcher. But he has this really, really narrow base kind of hunched up top and and just is a little bit of a a strange mover. So I think more than understanding the game, that's that's what kind of limits him. But I really do think that, you know, he's going to buy himself some time just with his his defensive IQ and and the fact that he's a great dude. Like like Jonathan said, he's one of the you know more high character guys in this draft and teams feel really, really comfortable, you know, bringing him into their program. I do have to say, I said before the podcast, Mike, you have you have a very you have a way about you in these film <laughs> possessions with players to write to their face. And I do this in interviews too. It's a it's a skill you have to learn. Tell them what they're bad at in a way that's polite enough for them to say, I am bad at that actually, and here are all the ways I'm bad at it. And let me tell you how I'm trying to remedy being bad at it. It's remarkable. Um Gavoni, you look like you want to say something about this. Well, I'm just wondering how many guys who are 218 pounds when they're 22 years old, really played the center position in the NBA. That, you know, not so much the height to me, like he just doesn't have a lot of bulk. And so I really do see him ending up as a four. I mean, we have this huge um, measurements database that goes back 30 years. And we have, you know, almost every player that, you know, has been in the NBA during that time. 
all of his physical comps are small forwards. It's TJ Warren. It's Chris Middleton. Um, you know, it's, it's guys like it's Tobias Harris, you know, um, and Amari, I just looked back when he was coming in, he was coming out of high school. He was 232 pounds, you know, and this was when he was 19 years old. Obi is, is, is 218, maybe 220. And, and he's, he stayed that way. I mean, a year ago he measured 218. So he's not getting a lot bulkier from what I can tell. And so I just, I, that's where he's going to struggle to me playing the five. And that's why I think he's definitely going to end up being a four. But like you said, he's so upright on the perimeter. He almost plays on stilts. And so he's stiff. He's stiff. And some guys are just stiff. Like it's not something that you can really change that much. Right. And so I, you know, to me, I see him more of like a John Collins than, Mm -hmm. than, than Amari, you know, I mean, still a really good player. Somebody you definitely want to have on your team. But, I mean, that's where the hesitation, I think, comes from teams in the top three right now. Let's end by going back to the top of the draft, and I wanted to circle back to this. Your report that Oklahoma City may be trying to trade up to the number one pick to get LaMelo Ball. I personally have not heard that, um, but you're more plugged into this stuff than I am. And Sam Presti, uh, you're not going to hear a lot about what's coming out of that front office, a lot of what's true anyway. Um, But... They have the 25th pick in the draft. They have a bunch of, they own a gazillion extra first round picks from both Houston and the Clippers. And the Houston picks are far enough out where like, you're looking at those picks like, ooh, that those could be, if things go south with the Harden-Westbrook thing, like those could be good picks. And you want to say like, the Clippers picks will be will be low in perpetuity. But like, we don't know that. You know, those guys, Kawhi and PG are free agents after this season. They're also not 25, they're 30. Some of those picks are valuable. I just don't know that you can throw a bunch of picks at me uh, of uncertain value, right? Like the Houston picks could go the other way. Maybe some crazy stuff happens and the Houston picks end up being number 20 every year. I don't know. Um, I'm a little skeptical they could just throw a whole ton of picks at the Wolves and get the number one pick. Um, Maybe they can. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you're hearing? Yeah, just that they they're one of the teams that's called and they're kicking the tires and you know probably like everybody's doing they want to see what would it take you know I'm hearing that there's a real affinity there for Lamelo Ball and the question is what does it take you know I mean because like you said they have all the assets to do anything they want in this draft I mean and they have players too that people want I mean even like a like a Lou Dort a Stephen Adams you know I'm Shea is untouchable I'm so, ex- I'm so excited that Lou Dort just got mentioned uh say say what you, <laughs> you said did you just say Shea was untouchable yeah I would assume that he's untouchable you know like he's probably worth more than the number one pick but um is he I mean I he I, the playoffs were pretty disappointing to me I mean he had one or two good games but he disappeared for a lot of those moments um but I would just think that you know being 22 years old, you know, with the trajectory that he's on. I'm not as big of a Shea guy as Schmitz is, for example, but I just, I have a hard time seeing them, you know, not ride that one out to see what he turns into because, you know, I mean, that, that uh, Paul George trade, you know, like it's really looking like they won that pretty, you know, pretty handedly. Let's just say you think LaMelo Ball's the guy. Okay. You're, Sam Presti thinks LaMelo Ball's the guy. I have no idea if that's true. Let's just say that. I assume the same as you, Jonathan. I was talking this through with a bunch of people around the league last night. I said, I assume Shea's untouchable. You know, he's just finished his second year. He's young. He's long. He averaged almost 20 points a game last year. 
And a few of them said, well, why would, why would you assume he's untouchable for the number one pick? Why? Like, wouldn't that be the out of nowhere, oh my God, but when you start to think about it, it makes a little bit more sense move. Like he's a year away from being eligible for a contract extension. And if he has another good year, he's going to demand a max. If you just think he's a good number two guy or a good number three guy, let's say, and you think LaMelo Ball's the guy and you can just, you know, flip Shea in one pick for that, like, I don't, I have no idea if any of this stuff is really happening, but it was one, you have these moments when you cover the NBA where something strikes you as on its face absurd. Like, of course, Shea Gill is, I love Shea. I'm probably closer to Schmitz on Shea. Of course, he's untouchable. He's a young cornerstone of a rebuilding team. Like, why would they ever trade him? And then you start to think about it and you're like, there are some scenarios where it's not insane. Like, I don't, but let's put it, I'm with you, Jonathan. I don't think that's a thing that's happening. Okay. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be discussed. If it is being discussed, I don't know that it's going to be discussed. Let me just be very crystal clear about that. But you can find smart people in the NBA who are like, just step back for a second, Zach. Step back and think. It's not as absurd as you think it is. Yeah, it's a tough call to know. You know, you know, that's what makes this so hard is that we're talking about, you know, draft prospects, who's going to pick who. We don't really know what, you know, we have – 150 games of, of evidence on Shea Gilgis Alexander in the NBA. And we still don't really know what kind of player he's going to end up being. So what are we going to say about James Wiseman who played three games in college or LaMelo Ball who played 12 games or Anthony Edwards who played, you know, 25 meaningless games in college. So that's what makes this so tough. And honestly, I don't have the right, I don't have the answer for it. Schmitz, you remain high on Shea? Very high. Love Shea. Team like Shea. over over under 3.5 all-star appearances you're taking the over i'll take the over interesting i'll take the over you what do you got that's a good line i don't know what i would take i don't know what i would take i might take the under i might take like two or three i might yeah i might take him as like particularly if he stays in the west and the west stays this good it's like a guy who makes a few all-star appearances but isn't like your your perennial all-star type but i'm not i'm not sure like i'm real. i'm really not um Playing with Chris Paul last year, he had a great year, but it also, to, to Jonathan's point, made you sort of confused about like, okay, exactly what is this guy at age 28? And like, he could be a lot, maybe he becomes James Harden. I don't know. Like maybe he becomes mm-hmm. a, a total number one apex predator kind of player. And maybe he, maybe playing with Chris was so healthy for him because he didn't have to be that kind of player. And he, he, I don't know, but I, I've always been super high on Shea um, since I started to watch him play in the league and I thought it was just a home run for Oklahoma. Forget all the picks. I kept saying, like, they got Shea Gilders-Alexander in yep. this trade. Like, that's a crazy that in addition to all that, they got him. Um, and let's finish up with Wiseman and Charlotte in particular because there's been this assumption for months now that as soon as Charlotte hit number three in the lottery, I said, oh boy, okay, Edwards, Wiseman, Ball. Okay, they could, you know, they need a big man. You know, how much would they trade up to assure themselves of getting the guy who is generally ranked the number one big man in the draft. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, Minnesota for sure is going to project if you want this. And again, Minnesota has to decide if we trade back to three, what are we getting there? Mm-hmm. Who are we getting there? Are we getting someone really loving? What happens if we're not? But you want the number one pick because all the buzz has been, and Jonathan, you repeated this today, Warriors are taking Wiseman at number two. I have no idea if that's true. That's what the buzz has been. Um, you want to come to number one, you got to give us the mother load. You got to give us like Miles Bridges, the third pick, 
an unprotected first round pick at the very following year, something like that. And again, all you can really make is educated guesses because this is mis- misinformation season. I'm sure the Hornets really like Wiseman. I, I, I do think they like they love the idea of ending up with him somehow. I'm not sure they're paying that kind of price to move up to get him, in part because that kid from USC, Akangwu, is a really intriguing prospect that I believe both of you have ahead of Wiseman on your big man rankings. Is that correct? Yep. So, Schmitz, I'll start with you. Sell me, sell me on this guy. Forget the value proposition of like how much would Charlotte actually have to give up to move up to number one and 100% lock in James Wiseman. Sell me on the idea that there's effectively no difference between these two guys. If you get a Congo at number three, you should be totally psyched. Because he's exactly what you want defensively in today's game, right? We're seeing so many 7-1 guys who aren't really there yet guarding pick and roll getting getting played off of the floor. And I think that's what teams love about Onyeka is that if you want to go small and you want to play BAM or you want to go play even super small – then Okongwu is okay with that because he can switch ball screens. He can really, he's really, really good in these drop situations. Like he has a super, super high basketball IQ. And then if you want to play big, okay, fine. Like he can protect the rim. He's a little bit undersized against an Embiid or a Jokic. I think he's going to struggle against those type of guys, but he's about as close um, as you'll find to a guy who can play against those jumbo lineups and then can also play against those small lineups. And he has 30 games of experience under his belt. You know, he, he played a full season at USC. He played oftentimes with two bigs on the floor also and a freshman point guard, and he still put up those numbers. So he needs almost no offensive volume to have an impact. And so I think that's why you'll hear a lot of chatter about really good teams trying to get into the top 10 to draft him because they know, oh, that's what we're missing. Like for us to take the next step, that's what we're missing. That's the other thing. And I mentioned this in my column last week. I'm so glad you reminded me. In addition to the Pat Williams thing and perhaps connected to the Pat Williams thing, I've had a number of teams in the top nine, 10, eight of the draft say, there are these good teams, like really good playoff teams who have been kind of like aggressively calling us trying to see how to get our pick and what it would cost to get our pick. And the reaction of these teams has been, we don't know whether it's because they love a prospect, like they're trying to get in on this Pat Williams mania that apparently is sweeping the nation, or B, they're just trying to get something else to include in a big trade, either at the draft or, or down the line. But it sounds like you've heard, you guys have heard the same stuff that these calls are happening, like you just alluded to it. Yeah, I've heard about a few different teams trying to trying to get into the top 10. And he's the, again, I don't know specific prospect like you said, but he's the name that comes to mind for me um, just because he's exactly what you need, you know, defensively in today's game. And a lot of those playoff teams, they already have guys who can go get you 20 or who can, you know, run the show offensively and do all those things. And he's kind of the missing piece that everybody's looking for. And, and when you hear the BAM comps, I think it's more a matter of the defensive side of the ball. It, it's the versatility that he brings there. Offensively, he's not a point center yet. He's not going to do all those things that BAM does. I don't think he ever is going to be that. Um, but a lot of people who saw BAM at a young age would tell you they didn't see that coming with him either. Um, so that that's why I like Congo. He's just very, very safe in that He's extremely intelligent. He blocks everything at the rim. He finishes everything. He's a low-maintenance dude. Whereas with James, love his upside, love what he could become. It's just 
it's going to take him a little bit of time. He's played only three collegiate games. It takes bigs uh, years in the league to figure out how to defend pick and roll. Um, you know, thinking quickly on the offensive end of the floor, moving it side to side, doing all those things. I think it's just going to take a little bit of an adjustment, but um, you know, if he's ever able to really master blocking shots, catching lobs, and then eventually as a guy who can like space the floor as a shooter, then okay, like, yeah, he's going to be a stud. But I think for him, it's very, very situational. Whereas a Kong Wu, plug him in anywhere and he's, he's going to be an impactful player. What do you say, Jonathan? I think if you're Boston, for example, that's the guy that you're targeting. You're, you're trying to package 14, 26 and 30, and you're trying to move up. You need to move up ahead of Washington, who are at nine. That's where we have them now in our new mock is at nine, which to me is surprising because honestly, I would put him at two on my board. You know? Yeah, based on what I have been hearing from people, I was surprised to see so many people have him going to the Wizards at nine. I'm like, wait a second, people are talking about this dude like he's a top five pick, no doubt. Right. He should be it should be Lamelo, Okongwu, Isaac Okoro. That should be the top three, but it's not going to go that way on draft night and so the question is where do you need to get to if you're boston and i don't think those picks get it done it doesn't sound like 14 26 and 30 gets you to seven or eight you know they so which young player do they have to put on the table and then you're you know and it, you start getting that becomes complicated for them i think uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a whenever the gates are open it's going to be wild, and you guys have a lot of work left to do. So uh, please read the column on the draft buzz today. The mock draft is coming out. What did you guys say, Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday night because we have that mock draft show. I think Schmitz is on. It's uh, Schmitz on ESPN2. Oh, gosh. I should know that. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll say. I think it's ESPN. Okay, it's on yes, television. There you go. It's on television. Yeah, one of our network, one of our are employers. You going to, are you going to – where are you going to film this? Yeah, I'm flying to Bristol tomorrow. Godspeed. Uh, Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Gavoni, the the legwork you do, the traveling you do, the analysis you do is just absolutely gargantuan and second to none. Um, it's super fun to talk to you, and maybe we can reconvene after the draft, or maybe the day before the draft, or you know, I'm sure you have nothing else to do the day before the draft other than come on my podcast. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to see you guys. Please stay safe, and uh, we will reconvene soon. Thanks, Zach. Awesome. Thanks, Zach.